All right. So today's daf is daf pei hey, page eighty five in the Halig of Masechus Tubas. We're going to go back to the bottom of pei dalid on base eighty four b, and we're going to restart with the story of Yemar Bar Okay. Now, if you look at Yemar Bar it is the last thin line, so four lines up from the bottom of pei dalid on base eighty four b, and get ready for a real fun daf that has a lot of information, a lot of stories that has to do with people who have claims against other people. <coughs> Primarily, um, a lot of the story is going to be about somebody who has a claim after somebody died. You want to claim from the children. You want to claim the estate. Who's going to get first dibs on the estate? And then we're going to enter other situations as well where people came, even if it's not necessarily pertaining to death, but people claim... With uh, people came with specific claims um, to uh, for for money. Say, so let's go, let's get cracking, and then we'll we'll explain as we move along. Yemar Barachoshu have a masik bezuzi bahu gavra. Yemar bezuzi was wanted money from a specific fellow. Well, guess what happened? Shachiv, this guy who owed him money, or at least Yemar claimed owed him money, he died. Vishavik Arba and his estate had a boat. Amarlei. So Yemar said to someone, Lishluche, to a messenger, Zil Tifsa, go grab Nihale it, go grab the boat. That's going to be what pays me back. Ozil Tafsa. So the Shliach went and he grabbed the boat. Pogur of Papa Ravuna Braidra Vishur, of Papa Ravuna Braidra saw the Shliach grabbing the boat. Normally they said to him, You can't be a messenger because by you claiming the boat for Yemar, you're going to cause other people who also have claims against the estate to lose out. And what's the issue? What's the big deal with that? If somebody acts as a messenger for a creditor in a place where other people are going to be at a disadvantage, top of today's daf, it's not an acquisition. And therefore, what they were telling the shliach was, you cannot acquire the boat for Yemar. It's not, you're not allowed to do that. But guess what happened? Now that they were able to stop the agent, so they went and Tafsua Inu. See, they knew that a lot of people had claims against this estate because Rav Papa and Rav Huna themselves had claims against the estate. So they went and took the boat. Rav Papa Muliach Maluche. Rav Papa rode the boat. Rav Huna Breder Vishua Mimatach Laba Ashla. He he uh, moved the boat using literally it's referring to a rope. He kind of. You know, he, he used a pulley system to make the boat move. Two types of acquisition. So one said, I rode the boat. I made it move. I acquired it. No, I acquired it, I acquired it by using this pulley system. Rabbi encountered them. And Omar Louis says, both agree. This that if you if you seize a boat of property, it becomes yours. That only when it's in a rishus realm, when it's in a public domain. But basically, what he's telling them was, neither of you acquired this because this boat we're assuming right now was in a place that wasn't completely out to the public. It was in remember what we referred to yesterday as a simta. It's an area of, of rishus harabim. It is a public domain, but it's also quasi protected. So if somebody has you know, if somebody has uh, protection over that, it's going to be considered like they made that acquisition. Basically, what Rapinchas Barami is telling them is that neither of you acquired the boat. So Amrulay, they said to him, no, Anan Nami Nachrinu Dinaru Tafisna. When we took it, 
it was it was not in the Simta, it was out in the currents of the river, and therefore it was Rashus Harabim, was completely public domain, and our taking it does give us ownership. Okay. That, that was a recap of the story, and this we got up to yesterday. Now let's keep going. Now we want to know what's the halacha. What's talking halacha? Remember, Yemar had a claim against the property, so he sent a messenger. Rav Papa and, uh, and uh, Rav Huna stopped the messenger, and they each went, and they went, did their own acquisition. So they came in front of Rav, he said to them, you are white geese, who send who send clothes of people. Okay, what does it mean, you're white geese who send clothes of, of people? It's, you're trying to pull off uh, nice, nice uh, chaps, uh, a, a nice way to, to make things work. But I want to tell you something, that really the halacha is, the only time you could, you could uh, grab property from somebody who owed money to you is when the guy himself was alive. If you would have taken the boat when the father was alive, that would have been a, a valid grabbing. But over here, where you took it after he died, Actually, nobody makes an acquisition, and um, the the boat remains under the uh, don't, under the ownership of the orphans. Another story: Avimi, the son of Rabbi Avot, had a claim. Um, was he owed money to the people of Chuzai? Okay, he owed money to the people of Chuzai. At least this is what they were saying. They were claiming that Avimi owes them money. So what did they do? So Shadrinu bi Archama braid the Rabba Baravos. He sent the money in the hands of of Chama. Azal Parinu and Chama went to pay them. Amar lehu havulei shtara. So he gave them the money and said, "Now give me back the IOU." And Amrulei they said, "No, sitroi ninhu. We're not giving it back. You know why? Listen to this, because Avimi owes us different money." So listen to what happened. Listen closely. It's a fascinating case. Let's let's bring details in. Avimi owed a thousand dollars to the people of Chuzai. They had proof that he owes them a thousand dollars. So he sent the money with with um, with Chama Berei the Rabba Barabo. Chama made the mistake of paying them before taking the IOU back, which he shouldn't have done. You have to say over here even that Avimi wanted, he asked him to take the contract. And he didn't. First he paid them and then asked for the contract. You know what they said? We're not giving you the contract. We're not giving you the IO. You know why? Because Avimi owed us a different thousand dollars that we wouldn't have otherwise been able to collect. So the thousand dollars that you gave us pays off the other loan, but the, the loan of the IOU is still outstanding. So now we want a psak. What do we do now? He said, Do you have any sort of witnesses they were paid? He said, No, he says, Since they could have said to Avimi that Chama never handed the money over at all, so which is a, a greater claim for them to be allowed to take more money. They're able to say also there's another obligation and, uh, and um, they can hold on to the IOU. Says the Gemara, very interesting. Okay, so now Avimi still has to pay them. However, what's the halacha now? The, see, the messenger didn't. The messenger didn't um, send the 
the, the messenger didn't uh, ask for the IOU before paying, which is what he should have done. So he's a little negligent over here. So what's his level of responsibility? Amar Ravashi, Ravashi says, Chazinan, we check out. If he says, if Avimi would have said to him, make sure to first take the document and then give the money. Then you're negligent. You're going to have to pay back Avimi. You're going to have to pay the guy who sent you. But if you told him first, take the money and then ask for the IOU. He doesn't have to pay. That's not the Either way, you got to pay. The messenger, the, the one who sent the messenger, Avimi, could say, I sent you to help me out. I didn't send you to add on an additional payment. And hence, he's going to be uh, obligated to reimburse. Says So there was a woman. There was a, a bunch of stories, a bunch of documents that she had in her domain. Somebody deposited documents by her. Now listen to what happens. Asu Yarshim, the, the inheritors of the man who gave her the documents to hold on to came. And they said to her, give us back our dad's documents. Omra Lahu, she said to them, no, Mechayim, while your dad was alive, Tafisna Lahu. He actually, um, I shouldn't say he actually nothing. I took ownership of these documents because your father owes me money and I wanted to hold on to it as a collateral. I want to hold on to these documents. He owed me $1,000. He hasn't paid me back. Yeah, he deposited these documents by me. So I'm holding on to it as a collateral. But it was already by me during your father's lifetime. Okay? Now, what she's saying, she wants to hold on to all the documents? No. In essence, what she's saying is, first, pay me back for whatever your dad owed me, and I'll give you back the collateral. You want the documents? Okay. Your father owed me $1,000, so pay me up the 1000 I'll give you back all the documents. So now they're coming to Bezda. I saw the commander of Rachman, they came from of Nachman. Oh, my Lord, he's at the hurt. Is there any proof that the father wanted it back while he was alive and you refused to give it back because you want to hold on to it as a collateral? Do you have proof to that? She said, no, I don't have any proofs. He says, if so, it's considered like you took it after death. Since you took it after death, you're obligated to give it back. It didn't do anything for you. You got to give the documents back. Says the Gemara, another story. There was a woman who was obligated to take an oath in Rava's court. Now I want to explain what's about to happen. There's times where midairaisa, biblically, the Torah says somebody's obligated in a shvua, obligated in an oath. For example, a person is maidibamiktsas, uh, a person uh, admits to a partial obligation, you're going to be obligated in a shvua, dairaisa, whatever it may be. Now, this woman is known to have sworn falsely in God's name at different times in her life. So what do you do in such a circumstance where somebody's obligated in an oath, but you know you can't really trust them to take the oath? So the halacha is, we allow the other side to swear. So in other words like this, somebody comes to a woman and says, you owe me a thousand dollars. She says, no, 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 I owe you 500. Biblically, she has to swear she only owes 500. 
If you can't trust her to take an oath, what we're going to do is we're going to walk over to the one making the claim and say, swear that she owes you a thousand and that'll be enough. Instead of putting the onus on her to take the oath, since we, she can't really be trusted, we'll put on the other side. Okay, so this woman was obligated to take a shua. Amri lay bas of Chista, Rav Chista's daughter, who was Rav's wife. She said to her husband, you know, Rav comes home for Bezdin. He tells his wife what happened that day. She's like, oh, no, 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 no. Yadana the I know what's going on. I hear the news. This woman cannot be trusted to take an oath in your Bezdin, my dear husband. So if Rabba changed it, instead of her making an oath and proving herself right, he allowed the other person to take an oath and say, and, uh, and, and, um, and uh, prove their side of the case. Now, Another time, Rav Papa Vadim Rasa was sitting in front of Rav. I saw the star of Gabe, a document came. I'm like, Rav Papa, you're done, be a star of Priya. I know there's something wrong with the star. I know it's paid up. I know it's not good. Amalei Rav says, then what do you mean? Is anybody else, uh, do you have another witness? Anybody else with you? Demar with my master who could prove to me that it was a paid off document? Amalei Lai. He said, no, Amalei. Even though I really trust you and your mama, Shechosh, a guy. You're only an Eidachet. So the hit is, when Rav's wife comes and tells him not to listen to a woman, not to let her make a shua, what do we say? He listens to her. When the, when the Heilige, um Rav Papa, comes to Rav and says that uh, he knows for a fact something happened, Rav doesn't listen to him. So I'm says to Rav, listen, why is Rav Papa not as trustworthy as your wife? So Rav says, I know Basra Chista very, very, very well. She's my wife. I know personally the ins and outs of how she thinks and what she knows. However, Mar, Rav Papa, like him, I know he's a chash of a guy, but I don't personally know, I don't personally know Rav Papa in this way. Now, this is a very, very fascinating idea. Because nobody's suspecting Rav Papa of lying. What's happening is, in general, the Torah says you need two witnesses. You needs to be a unique set of circumstances to say, I'm either going to trust one person to change around something that, you know, to, to, to switch the oath from one person to another. That takes more than just somebody being known to be a Talmud Chacham or an honest individual. That takes a lot more than that. And that's the, that's the message the Gemara is giving over here. Now, Rav Papa, Rav Papa says, now that, now that Rabba has told us that Kimle Bigave, that knowing somebody very well, can actually give strong trustworthiness, can Abamar Mar Bray the Kimle Bigave. So Abamar, I know him very, very well. Also, Quranishtara Pume, I would tear up a document if he tells me it's not a valid document. That's how much I trust him. He says Gmar Quran is you can't you can't fully tear up a document. I mean you still have one witness against the document, even though he's very trustworthy. You can't, you can't rely on that more than a more than a valid star. So he says, "You're right." What I mean is like this: if I have a document, and Abba Mar would come and argue on the document, I would make it like a fifty-fifty, meaning I would investigate further. That's how much credibility I give him. Okay, let's keep going. Another Misa. Hey, so there was a woman this woman who became obligated to take an oath in the Bezdin of Ravi Baravai Baldovar. So the Baldovar, whoever was arguing on this woman, said, Tasi, um, bring her the Tishava and swear Bemasa in her city. 
What he's saying is, I want her to take an oath, not in Bezdin. I want her to go down back to her shtetl and swear over there. Now, the reason for this is, says the Gemara, perhaps she'll be embarrassed in her local town and be maida, admit, to, ad, admit to her falsehood. Now, what the other side wanted to gain with this is as follows. Whatever the argument was, apparently, the people in her city knew the truth. So he wanted that she should go back to the shul where she lived and in front of the locals take an oath about, about her claim because he was so confident that she's going to be embarrassed to lie publicly in front of people who really knew that she was, that she was lying. So Amr al-Lahu, she said, She says to the Bezid, instead, write, me the, write a document saying that I'm innocent, that I'm right. And this way, when I swear, they'll give me the document. Write the document now, and I'll go back to my place and then swear. Yeah, we'll, we'll write her this document. That if she makes an oath in her local place, Allah is going to be like her. Amr Fapi. Fapi says, one second. I mean, it's an expression. Somebody, you come from uh, a short, uh, short people. Now, Mimulay doesn't, it's, it's not uh, specifically short people, but um, as Rashi explains over here, it was people that lived shorter lives. The, they were descendants of Ali. So, because you, I lost the point, I'm going to say something that's cut off, say something else that's short, meaning it's not, it's not right. If you have a, a um, star of judges, which was written in front of the Nachvu Sadeh, before the witnesses could even sign Psula. It's not valid. Why are you writing a document and then afterwards needing the witnesses to sign? That doesn't work. Because it looks like you're writing something that is false. You're writing something before it actually happened, stating that it already happened. That You, you can't do that. You, you can't certify it before the, the Din Taira is actually done. So to over here, you write first a document and then she'll go and take an oath. You can't do that. that, that it, looks like, it looks like falsehood. It looks like lying. It says Gemara Valesa, and he's actually wrong with this. Because Dhammar of Nachman and Nachman teaches us, I'm a higher of Mary. Mary would agree. Let's say you have somebody, a couple that wants to get divorced. Now, in order to get divorced, you need a valid scribe to write up a proper get. Right? Now, what's written in the get? A lot of things. Including the name of the husband, the name of the wife, the city they live in, yada, yada, yada. What happens if a husband walks, is, is walking down the street or he walks into a Bezdin and he sees a get, which just happens to be a husband has the same name as him, the wife has the same name as his wife, they live in the same city, it's Yankel Schwartz, Techaya Schwartz, two very common Jewish names, and, and uh, you're good to go. Yeah, see, so he finds in a garbage dump. Can he use that get for himself? Was it written for them? Was it written for them? But it wasn't signed yet either. So So what do he do? He had witnesses sign on it and give it to his wife. Says Reb Meir, kosher. It's a valid divorce. Because according to Meir, you don't need that it's written for the sake of the husband and wife. What matters is the signature. Now, does this look like a checker? You better believe it looks like a checker. 
But Rav Meir still says it's going to be kosher. But if you Rabban, either Rabban who say who say that it's not a valid get, they only argue by a get to be inoxiv lishma because they say that not only does the signing need to be lishma, even the writing has to be lishma. Avol b'shar shtaris meidleib and other documents will agree that um, it's not a it's not possible. And you could use it. If you have a star that was already used, you can't use it again. So what happens is like this. Reuven lends money to Shimon. Shimon pays up. And by paying up, Reuven gives him back the document that he was holding on to. He holds on to the die. He gives it back to Shimon. Now Shimon wants to borrow the same money again. Can they use the same document again? So says... Rav Asi quoting Rebbechen, that the Shibud, the, the obligation, the lien, has already been removed. Time, uh, the reason why you can't use that same document, the is because you're removing the, the lien. But the issue here is not top So you see that Rav Papa's whole claim of is not an issue. Okay. Beautiful. Here we go. Top line, Pehei Amur Bez. Another story. Who gathered was a fellow, the Afgid, who deposited Shav Marginyasa, seven pearls, the Tzaydei Besedina. He took seven pearls that were collected in a sudden. Uh, sudden is a, a sheet, a handkerchief. Be'erav Mashia bar Breder of Yeshua ben Levi. And he had deposited it with Rav Miyasha. The grandson of Rabbi Yeshua ben Levi. Shachar Rav Miyasha. And Rav Miyasha died. Now here was the problem. There were seven wrapped pearls in a handkerchief. And Rav Miyasha did not let his children know that somebody else had deposited it by him. For Lloyd Puckett, he, he, he wasn't... He didn't remember to tell this to his family. Also, the Ravami said, "Give him in front of Ravami." Here was the problem: the one who deposited the seven pearls said, "Give it back." The children said, "How do we know it's really yours? Maybe it was our father's." Amaluhu Ravami says, "Chada." First of all, the Adana Bei Rav Miyasha Bei Rav Rav Yishu Balevi Gloy Amen. Rav Miyasha was not rich. He wasn't running out and buying fancy jewelry for his wife. Vaid and furthermore, Hakayav Simana. The guy who deposited gave a sign, seven pearls wrapped in a handkerchief. So these two things combined, the, the knowledge that Rav Miyasha was not the type to have this level of jewelry in his house, along with the other person having a simon, those two combined tells us to give it back to the guy. And this is only true, by the way, if the one claiming had no real way of knowing that there were seven pearls in the handkerchief in the house. Meaning, let's say this guy used to eat there for Shabbos meals. Or used to sleep over there here and there. So maybe once he saw it in the house. That's not, so now that you claim there were seven pearls in the handkerchief, doesn't prove anything about you. All it proves you were in their house. So the only time we give it to him is if he wasn't commonly in Miyasha's house. Um, if he was commonly in the house, then maybe somebody else deposited and he once saw it and gave the simon, but we're actually not going to give it back to this person. It's not enough of a proof. All right. Another story. There was a fellow, he gave a silver cup um, to somebody by the name of Chasa. Chasa died. He didn't tell his family about the silver cup, and now the same problem. Same problem. The guy who deposited it wants it back. 
the children are saying, how do we know it's yours? Maybe it was our father, Chatzos. So they came in front of Rav Nachman. Rav Nachman said, First of all, I know Chasa was not the type to be able to buy silver. He didn't spend money on a silver cup. And furthermore, this guy gave a simon. He gave a sign. And therefore, you got to give it back. Again, because he has a sign about the becher, about the cup. And also, Chasa is not the type to own such, to be wealthy enough to own this cup. And the same thing we said earlier, and that is, we're only going to give it back if this guy wasn't usually in Chos's house. Maybe somebody else deposited, and this guy happened to see it, and therefore we cannot, uh, therefore we cannot trust him. There was a person who deposited silk with Ravdimi, the brother of Rav Safra, and he died. Shachiv, Ravdimi, Ravdimi died for like People didn't know. Chevra, this is such an important message. We never know when our last day is. It's important that our family, yes, we're entitled to privacy, but it's important that our family is aware of some of our holdings so that there's no machoikas, you know, afterwards. It really needs, you know, uh, it needs, the, the, the Gemara wants to wake us up to uh, think, to think ahead, think to the future. Nobody knew what was going on. So again, the inheritors are going to think it's theirs, their silk, and the guy who deposited it is going to want it back. So they came in front of Ravaba. Each one wanted the silk. So Ravaba said, first of all, Ravdimi wasn't rich, and he wasn't the type to walk around in silk. So why would, if he says to the inheritors of Ravdimi, why would your dad have silk? He doesn't wear silk. He wasn't wealthy enough to buy silk. It would be a it would be bad money move on his part. And second of all, this guy claiming the silk is his, he gave a sign. And therefore, we give it back to the one claiming that he deposited it. And again, I'm only going to give it back if this guy claiming about the silk wasn't commonly in Ravdimi's home to have be able to know how to identify it. If it was commonly found in Ravdimi's home, Again, we're going to say somebody else deposited. He saw it, and uh, and it's not really his. We're not going to give it back. All right. Another story. A person's about to die, and he says, "I want all my stuff to go to Tuvia." Shachiv, and then he dies. Also Tuvia. So Tuvia comes along. Now, how many Tuvias do you know? How many Tuvias do you know? I know three. I have three Tuvias. That's such a common name, but it's not such a rare name. It's not so rare. Right? So he said, I want to go to Tuvia. Well, a gear named Tuvia comes along. Also, Tuvia. Amr Vichan, Tuvia. Tuvia's here. Give him the whole property. Give him all the estate. He gets everything. Omar Tuvia. If he says Tuvia, I've also Rav Tuvia. And there's a rabbi by the name of Tuvia that comes. So then we're going to say, Latuvia Amar, Larav Tuvia Lai Amar. Rabbi Tuvia cannot come claim it. Because then we could expect the person would have said, give it to Rabbi Tuvia. He would have used the, the, the rabbi's title. But he said Tuvia. So if he says Tuvia, if the guy has got a title of rabbi, any Tuvia with the title of rabbi cannot come and claim it. However, if the person who said Tuvia is somebody who doesn't usually show such respect by, by calling Rav Tuvia with the proper title, so then also he's included. Meaning, you got to use your common sense, which is what we're about to uh, give as the bottom line 
Asr Shnei Tuvia, two people named Tuvia come to claim the property. Shochim v'talmud chacham, one of them is a neighbor another of, of the guy who died, so maybe the guy meant him. Another guy is a talmud chacham named Tuvia, maybe he wanted to support a talmud chacham. Talmud chacham kaidim. So the talmud chacham is going to come first. We're going to assume that the one who passed away wanted the merit, wanted the schus of supporting the talmud, of the talmud chacham. Karev v'talmud chacham, let's say one's a relative, and the other one's talmud chacham again. Talmud chacham kaidim. The talmud chacham is going to come first as well. Ibailu, that's the question. What about Shachin Vikarevmai? What if one's a neighbor and one's a relative? Both Tuvya. They both know the guy very well. Which one gets it? A close neighbor is better than a distant relative. So the neighbor comes first. Shneim Kravim. What if you have two Tuvyas who are related to him? Or Shneim Shainim, two Tuvyas that are neighbors. Shneim Chachamim. And two of them are Chachamim. You know what we say? Shuda didaini. Bezdin has to figure it out. You gotta, you, there's some times where there's no straight up answer, no straight up approach. Figure it out. It's going to be, it's going to be uh, Bezdin's responsibility and their ability to decide who gets what. Okay. Come, I will tell you something. That is awesome. That is great. That your father would say. He says, let me tell you something I heard, I heard from your father. He quoted Shmuel, if a person sells a shtar to his friend, so Reuven lends money to Shimon. He has a document saying Shimon owes him $1,000. Reuven then goes and takes the document and sells it to Levi for $800. He sells the document. And then he forgives Shimon's debt, Machel. It's forgiven. Levi cannot come and claim it. And even the Yerush has the right to go ahead and be Michael. Shmuel, and Shmuel says, If you have a, a, a woman who brings a document to her husband, and then she forgives the document, it's not forgiven. Because his rights over it is the same as her rights over it. When it comes to Nechsei Malug, he since he's going to get rights on the um, on the produce, so it's as if they both she owns the principal, he owns the produce, and in order for any transaction to happen, even when it comes to forgiving a transaction, to forgiving a debt, since it's going to impact the husband's ownership and his rights to the produce, she can't do that without his agreement. The relatives of Rav Nachman, they, uh, one of the relatives sold her ksuba, means for the amount that is like a feel-good amount. Amount that's a feel-good amount. Right? Nothing, nothing major. What happened was, Igarsha, she got divorced, so she's entitled to a ksuba, and then Ushiva, and she died. So first she gets divorced. Now as soon as she gets divorced, who gets the ksuba? Whoever she sold it to. But then she died. So her children want to inherit the ksuba. The problem is, she was first divorced. So So whoever bought the rights to the ksuba came, and they came to her daughter. That was the inheritor. And they said, uh, you know, we want your mom's ksuba. And the daughter's obviously saying, what do you mean? I inherited it. I'm a Lord of Nachman. 
Rav Nachman said, Leka de Lisva La Eitzah, is there anybody who can uh, give her some good advice? Can anybody help her out here? Because it seems pretty clear, like the buyers are the ones who are correct. Uh, so he's, Rav Nachman says, anybody can help her out? Top of tomorrow's daf. He says, I'll give you an idea. Let her go, forgive the, um, her father on the Hoksuba, and then it'll all go back to her father. The Hoksuba is going to be null and void. The father is going to hold on to the money. Now when the father dies, she'll inherit her father. So she went and she was Michael the entire thing. This way she could hold on to the value of the Ksuba. What I did was wrong. I, I had no right to act like an attorney and to help one side over the other. And the Mishnah tells us when you're dying on a case, you're a judge on a case, you can't give any sort of advice that's going to help one side out. Says the what happened? So why did Rav Nachman do it? Why did Rav Nachman give her this advice when he knew it was wrong? Rav Nachman was a big Tamar Chach. What was going on originally and then what changed? Answers the Gemara. Me'ikara Savar, originally Rav Nachman thought, Mi you know, this orphan was related to him, this girl was related to him. He said, family first, you got to take care of your family. And therefore, I have a right to, I, I have an obligation to give her good advice. But then he said, you know what? Even though in general, family first, you got to give, you got to take care of your family, make sure that they're, you know, you give them good advice. But the bottom line is, somebody in my position, who's sitting on a court, it's really wrong to give any sort of uh, advice to one litigant that's going to help them over the other. The responsibility of being a judge overrides his responsibility of of um, hiding yourself from your relatives. Okay, we'll hold it here. We're up to Gufa, up to the two dots. We'll hold it here for the evening Meshem tomorrow morning. On Erev Shabbos, we will pick up with Dafyaimi at 9.15 a.m., our new Friday time. Have a wonderful, wonderful Erev Shabbos.